my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 506. And for those of you who are tired of not seeing my eyes, there you go. You get to see my eyes a little bit if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, I want to tell you, first of all, this episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. Do you like free stuff? How about free chicken for a year? SOS listeners get two pounds of free-range organic chicken breasts for free in every order when you sign up at ButcherBox.com forward slash SOS and use code SOS. Claim this deal at ButcherBox.com forward slash SOS and use code SOS. They sent me a box. Uh, I grilled up some really good stuff. Went to my dad's house. My dad and my stepmom are like really, really incredible chefs. It comes cold and refrigerated. Uh, and you can have peace of mind. You get 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crepe-free, wild-caught seafood. It's all ethical. There's no antibiotics, no added hormones. It's high-quality stuff. Seriously, it's really great meat. You get free shipping in the continental U.S. It's hard to find meat this good uh, at a grocery store. And ButcherBox will just send it to your door. You get exclusive deals as a member, and they can give you tips and recipes for preparing the meat. Remember, two pounds of free chicken for a year in every order when you sign up at ButcherBox.com forward slash SOS and use code SOS. ButcherBox.com forward slash SOS and use code SOS. All right, let's dive in. Um, of course, so last episode, right, I talked about how I, I park at an empty parking lot. And uh, for some reason, people just come out of nowhere to park near me. There's not a, a car in sight except for two seconds ago. One, two, uh, two spots away, a car parked near me. I don't know why that happens. I think it's funny. I'm going to point it out every time. Um, on Thursday night football, the Cleveland Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 29-17. to 17. I've got a couple thoughts. Number one, I'm not really sure why Pittsburgh's first-round pick quarterback, Kenny Pickett, isn't playing. And I want to start with a question from the audience. Devin wrote in on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, as you can too. Devin says this, Zach, I can't stand watching Mitch Trubisky on the Steelers. So far, I've seen him play on TV, the All-22, and in person. He is infuriating to watch from all three angles. Have you watched him with Pittsburgh? And if so, how do you feel about him? Me personally, I'm out on him. I'd love to hear your angle, Devin. Let's talk about it. Mitchell Trubisky, uh, I thought week three was maybe his best game of the year so far. But frankly, that's not saying very much. You can tell his receivers are frustrated. They've got George Pickens. They've got Deontay Johnson. He has people open, and they're not getting the ball. What Really, what we're seeing is why he didn't work as a starter in Chicago. His mobility has been valuable. He's avoided a couple sacks. I think there's some benefits to his game. Uh, but I... I'd love to know the real reason why Kenny Pickett isn't playing for Pittsburgh. It's very baffling to me. And I wonder, is it, you know, why, what's Mike Tomlin thinking? I'm sure there's not a nefarious reason. There's probably, I would imagine, I respect Mike Tomlin a lot. There's got to be a good reason. Is Kenny Pickett just not ready yet? Are they trying to protect him? What's going on? Because it seems like he should be playing. I'm very confused why, you know, two losses in a row for Pittsburgh their offense isn't quite good enough. They're running into a wall. If you're not going to have a good offense anyway, why not get your, your first-round quarterback in to play and get some experience? Is it just that they're worried about ruining him and don't want to hurt his future by putting him in too early? That's the only thing that would make sense at this point because watching Trubisky, um, it, it, frankly, Mitchell Trubisky is holding back the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I've tried to be very kind. Over the years, I've said some harsh stuff about Trubisky, and, and now 
in Pittsburgh, I tried to have an open mind and say, hey, he had some time off. He sat behind Josh Allen in Buffalo. Maybe he'll be better. The New England game was particularly bad. Week three was better, but still, like, they're not getting great quarterback play from Trubisky. So why isn't Kenny Pickett the starting quarterback in Pittsburgh? It makes no sense to me. And I'm curious, how long will it be until we do see Kenny Pickett playing? Because Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin said after the game, he's not going to be making a change for week four against the Jets. So uh, at least not next week it's going to happen. How long until we do see Kenny Pickett? I'd love to know. Now, Cleveland looked pretty good on offense. Nick Chubb, the running back, at 23 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown. Jacoby Brissett, their quarterback, had a really good game. He was 21 for 31 passing, 220 yards, two touchdowns. Amari Cooper, the receiver they traded for from Dallas, had seven touchdown catches for 101 yards and a touchdown. Their tight end, David Njoku, nine catches, 89 yards and a touchdown. And I thought Jacoby Brissett did enough good stuff that I started to wonder... What would have happened if Miami had made him their starting quarterback instead of Tua? What if, can you imagine if Jacoby Brissett had been chosen by Miami? You know, Miami wasn't ever going to choose Jacoby Brissett because they were so invested with the draft pick in Tua. But I think Jacoby Brissett would have looked really good throwing to Tyreek Hill, throwing to Jalen Waddell. And in 11 games for Cleveland, Jacoby Brissett is going to show what he can do. And so far... He's showing he's a pretty decent, solid starting quarterback. Cleveland is 2-1. and one. They probably should be 3-0. and oh. And we're three games into the year for Cleveland. We're two games into the year for Baker Mayfield and Carolina. They're going to play on Sunday. I'm ready to say this already. Cleveland won the breakup with Baker Mayfield, and, and I think by a lot. I've been watching Baker and Carolina, and I Carolina's not a good opportunity for Baker Mayfield. In Carolina, he's getting crappy coaching. There's a great video from Dan Orlovsky breaking down how obvious the way they line up pre-snap is. You know, if Christian McCaffrey's lined up behind Baker Mayfield by a yard, it's an RPO or a run. If he's parallel to Baker Mayfield, that's a passing situation. That's like insanely bad for NFL coaching. Uh, So in Carolina, Baker's getting bad coaching. He's got a bad offensive line. He's getting hit a ton. And he's not getting much help from his receiving core. And I remember when Baker Mayfield got traded to Carolina, I made a claim that he was actually better off when he was in Cleveland. People called me crazy. People were angry at me. Um, And I don't know that Cleveland would have even wanted to hold on to Baker Mayfield. And I also suspect Baker would not have the maturity to make it work 11 games as a starting quarterback in Cleveland before eventually getting replaced by Deshaun Watson. But it's a shame that Baker didn't view Cleveland as an opportunity to show the rest of the NFL what he can do. Jacoby Brissett is going to start for 11 games in Cleveland. He's going to look pretty good, I believe, and it's going to lead to him getting another job next year. Next year, Jacoby Brissett is more likely to be on another NFL team than Baker Mayfield is. Baker Mayfield got the opportunity to be the starting quarterback in Carolina. Woo! Yeah! The problem is... Not every opportunity is actually a good opportunity. Uh, There's a, I listen to a podcast called Defining Duke, and one of the the, uh, hosts on that show talks about how not every bag is a good bag. Not every paycheck you get is one you actually want and feel good about. Not every opportunity to be a starting quarterback is a good one either. And I think it was arrogant of Baker to go to Carolina where he's not being supported and think he could succeed when Teddy Bridgewater didn't work, when Sam Darnold didn't work, when quarterback after quarterback have come into Carolina and not worked out. 
I don't know why. Baker, I, I get it. He believed he was different and better. He could overcome the obstacles that Carolina has. Or maybe, and more likely, he was just desperate for any opportunity. He said, I don't care. Get me on the field. I want to show what I can do. But I, I really genuinely believe 11 games in Cleveland would have been a better opportunity for Baker to prove himself and show the world what he can do. A healthy Baker playing in Cleveland's offense was going to succeed more and have more passing yards and more completions and look more like a quarterback that could succeed than what he's doing in Carolina. I, I'm. It's always going to be a question I have in my head. What if Baker Mayfield had decided to play ball to kind of bend the knee to Cleveland and say, hey, I get it. You don't want me long term. But hey, you're going to need somebody for Deshaun Watson's suspension. Let me be your starting quarterback and let's see what happens. Now, I also recognize, now that I'm saying this out loud, it wasn't guaranteed that Deshaun was going to get a suspension. We didn't know how long it was going to be. But didn't we all think, hey, he's not going to play a lot next year. He might even get suspended all year. And Baker Mayfield made it so that the opportunity to be the placeholder in Cleveland was not available to him. That's going to, I know what I just said is going to make a lot of people angry. Baker shouldn't have stayed in Cleveland. Cleveland, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I'm just telling you. I'm watching Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland, playing well, making good throws, getting having a good team around him. And the contrast between the support Baker has and the support Jacoby Brissett has around him is absurd. And I just, I, I think people aren't going to like when I say this. You know, Baker's not, Baker was better off in Cleveland. And also, Another thing people are really not going to like, I think Deshaun Watson's going to come back and look really, really good in this Cleveland Browns offense. Jacoby Brissett is putting stuff on tape, by the way, that's going to help Deshaun Watson. There was a third and 10 early in the game where he had someone open over the middle. The guy he threw to was kind of late. He also had a receiver open over the middle. Stuff like that, when you watch Jacoby Brissett run the offense incorrectly, I, I guarantee you Deshaun Watson is at home taking notes going, Ah, against this look, we do that instead. He's getting a ton of mental reps watching Jacoby Brissett. And on top of that, by the way, there were a couple plays last night on Thursday Night Football where Jacoby Brissett could not extend a play and escape a sack. And I thought to myself, you know what? Deshaun Watson gets out of that situation. That's either a big run or he's extending a play and throwing the ball downfield. I really believe that this offense is primed for Deshaun Watson to look really good. He can keep a play alive. He's got better timing. Um, I, I don't like this, and I know other people aren't going to like this, but it, I, I think it's true. When Deshaun Watson comes back, he's going to do very, very well for Cleveland. And I, I don't know, man. I, I just think that it's it's really interesting to watch the way that Jacoby Brissett is playing and being supported compared to the way that Baker Mayfield is not being supported in Carolina. And I often think to myself, man, Baker could have been there. He said, I'm angry. I want out. I'm not going to play ball. I'm going to make a big stink. You better trade me. Get me out of here. I'm not coming back. But I, I just I just cannot. You can't convince me that Carolina was really a better opportunity than playing with Amari Cooper and the offensive line in Cleveland, the play calling there, Nick Chubb, a good defense. I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jacoby Brissett is way better supported than Baker Mayfield was. And I I know it makes people angry when I say that, but I just do not believe that Carolina was the right opportunity for Baker Mayfield to take. And he came across as a bit desperate going there. And uh, I I just, to this day, I'm going to be like, I wonder if Baker had, here's what I'm going to say. 
next year when Baker has a hard time finding another team to play on. And Jacoby Brissett is definitely going to be on another roster next year because he's going to do well and people are going to say, hey, there's some value there. Let's take him. I'm going to wonder what if Baker had stayed in Cleveland and played ball and just not been a headache and not been hard to work with and said, hey, whatever opportunity you got for me, I'll take it. I'll do the best I can and show the world what I can do. I don't know. I I just, I, I think Baker really, really put himself in a bad scenario by going to Carolina. Um, and uh, I, ugh, it's a bad look. And you got to show people that you can succeed in the NFL and you have to, you know, the better you do, the more coaches look at what you do and say, oh, I can work with that. When you're doing bad and getting sacked every play and not getting support, it's hard for coaches to see that and have the vision to go, oh, I can make that guy win. They see a bad quarterback and are, are, are more likely to turn to the new shiny object in the NFL draft rather than Baker Mayfield. By the way, the Steelers defense really misses TJ Watt. Um, uh, not much more to add there, but uh, TJ Watt cannot come back fast enough for Pittsburgh. I want to read another question from Patreon. Zachariah wrote in on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Zachariah said this, Hey Zach, what is wrong with the Browns defense? They play 95% of their snaps at a top 10 level, but get destroyed by two plays per game. The Panthers had two 50-yard throws to wide-open receivers on busted coverages. The Browns clawed their way back for a win after a massive field goal, but they were up 13 points in the fourth and gave up a lead. Uh, The Browns were also up 13 points in the fourth quarter with a minute 55 left to go against Joe Flacco and the Jets and gave up a 66-yard touchdown to allow them back with an onside kick, the Browns ended up losing that game as well. What in the world is wrong with the Browns' defense? Is it coaching personnel, scheme, a combination? Yeah, so week one, uh, Carolina beat a couple of busted coverages by Cleveland. Week two is insane. The Jets got the ball down 13 points, minute 55 left. Had a two-play drive with a 66-yard touchdown pass to Corey Davis. They got the onside kick. Then they threw a touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson with 22 seconds left. The Jets won that game, and it was shocking. In the first two weeks of the year, the Cleveland Browns had busted coverages due to miscommunications in zone coverage. Guys were leaving people wide open. Week three against Pittsburgh, we saw progress in my opinion. There were no big busted coverages. They communicated better. After week two, Cleveland had a big players-only meeting, and they had some kind of discussion behind the scenes And we're getting a limited sample size. A, the first two weeks, okay, it happens twice. Is that really a trend? Week three, it's cleaned up. So I think it's very possible that Cleveland solved their problem. Uh, They are going to probably have fewer busted coverages due to lack of communication and zone coverage. They actually played a lot of man coverage against Pittsburgh. But week two is a wild meltdown. In the final two minutes, they missed an extra point, threw an interception, gave up two touchdowns, lost it, you know, missed a onside kick. They gave up a 13-point lead. That's kind of a fluky loss that I do not expect to be repeated. So, uh, Zachariah, you write in with concern about the Browns, and I know you wrote that before Thursday Night Football, but I thought what we saw on Thursday Night Football against Pittsburgh was a... That problem got solved. (laughs) I don't think we're going to see as many busted coverages. They had a, a meeting behind the scenes, and a lot of it was, again a lack of communication. And you saw watching that game, they were chirping. They were talking. They were communicating better. They also played less zone coverage anyway. Um, but if you want to know, that is why those busted coverages happened was it was a, a problem with zone coverage. 
Um, and I, I really think the Browns might have solved that after week two. Uh, during their, you know, they had this players only meeting and we're like, look, we can't have this happen anymore. Um, and we'll see if that continues. But so far, one game removed from that happening, uh, there were no busted coverages against Pittsburgh, and that felt like progress for Cleveland. All right, I've got a correction. I've got a correction relating to 49ers quarterback Trey Lance. After the Bears lost week one, where Trey Lance played badly for the 49ers, a video circulated of him at a strip club, throwing money around, making it rain. Austin wrote in about it. I want to read Austin's right in on Patreon. Austin says this. Hey, Zach, just want to point out that the post you saw of him at the club is fake. Maybe it is him, but the timing of the thing is fake. I do hold him accountable for his actions, but just wanted to correct you on one point in your video that's going to be seen by a ton of people. Not to promote someone else's channel, but this video explains it well. And Austin linked to a video from the YouTuber Microphone. Shout out to Microphone. Great video. Um, so the video of Trey Lance at the, we'll call it a club, uh, as Austin wrote in very kindly, much better than the first thing I said. The video of uh, Trey Lance at a club is real, but it did not get recorded after the game, after the loss to the Bears week one. It was from the offseason. The guy who posted it changed his name to September 11. And posted it at 4.20 p.m. after the Bears 49ers game. Basically, somebody sabotaged Trey Lance and tried to make it look like he was out after the game. Um, I, I got duped. I got fooled, along with a lot of other people. Um, but I, I just wanted to correct the record. As far as going to a strip club, I've never been to one. I don't really have any desire to pay for that. Uh, but at the same time, I've got my own vices. I, You know, like, who am I to judge some guy doing that. I didn't like it happening after the game. Apparently it didn't happen after the game. So he's a rich kid. Do whatever you want. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I, I want to correct the record there because I, I felt bad that I participated in some of the sabotage of, of Trey Lance. I, I got fooled as well. Um, the guy who did that pretty messed up to, to try to sabotage a guy that way. And, um, I got fooled along with a lot of other people. I wanted to correct the record. That video of Trey Lance at the club was not, in fact, after the Bears' loss. All right. Um, one second. We got a problem here. <laughs> um, wild. My notes are all messed up. Uh, there are two NFL Week 2 games I want to revisit real quick before we move forward. Game number one is this. The Jaguars absolutely embarrassed the Indianapolis Colts during Week 2. Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars' second-year quarterback, looked really good. The Jaguars beat the Colts 24 to nothing. by the way, in Jacksonville, which the Colts have had a hard time on the road in Jacksonville for years now. Um, Jaguars receiver Christian Kirk played very, very well. He had six catches for 78 yards and two touchdown catches. In week one, by the way, Christian Kirk had 117 yards receiving. And it looks like the Jaguars going out and bringing Christian Kirk to Jacksonville was a great move. Uh, Christian Kirk signed a big four-year, $72 million contract. A lot of people, myself included, were like, what? That's a ridiculous amount of money. And, and it was more like, who is this guy to get that much money? Um, but honestly, two weeks in, looks like money well spent. They're like, we got the budget for it. Let's spend big and get a marquee guy for our team. And right now, so far through two weeks, Christian Kirk has been the number one receiver that Trevor Lawrence has needed. It's been a great move. 
Um, and I got to give props to the Jaguars. It looks like they did a great job surrounding Trevor Lawrence with quality players and good coaches. And they've given Trevor Lawrence really good support. They got a coach, Doug Peterson. They got two good running backs. They got depth at receiver. They brought in a tight end, Evan Ingram from New York, the Giants. He's been a great value player. He had seven catches week two for 46 yards. Uh, he got every pass thrown his way week one. I think that even the quarterback coach the Jaguars got for Trevor Lawrence. You know, Mike McCoy is a former head coach of the Chargers for four years. He was the offensive coordinator in Denver and Arizona. I just can't say enough good things about what the Jaguars did to uh, support their young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Now, the Jaguars play the Chargers week three, and that's a really big opportunity for them to prove themselves. But I'm really, really interested and intrigued with this new look young Jaguars team and like I said Trevor Lawrence looks like the man he looks like the you know that draft class had Trevor Lawrence as a number one pick Zach Wilson as the number two pick and Trey Lance as a number three pick followed by Justin Fields and you know Mac Jones Trevor Lawrence looks like the best quarterback out of that draft class so far and that's pretty exciting for Jaguars fans now Indy looked really really bad during week two Matt Ryan threw three interceptions. His first pass of the game was picked off. His last two throws of the game were also intercepted. Indy's number one receiver, Michael Pittman Jr., did not play. He had a groin or had a quad injury. And without Michael Pittman Jr., he's out with that quad injury. If MPJ doesn't play, Indy just does not have any real intimidating receiving threat at all. They just could not win one-on-one matchups at all. And, you know, even their star running back, Jonathan Taylor had a bad game. He had nine carries for 54 yards. I don't know why they didn't use him more. It's very interesting to me. Davis wrote in with a question on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Davis says this. Hey, Zach, the Colts should just burn it down, right? I like Frank Reich, but he's just vanilla this year. And Ballard failed at getting us a wide receiver core. It might be time for a rebuild if this year continues to fall apart. I have a lot to say here. So your general manager, Ballard, didn't build you a good enough receiving core. I guess Frank Reich, you're calling him vanilla. What's going on in Indy? Um, I think it's worth saying that Indy, it's not as bad as it looked uh, from the outset. I mean, Indy was in the red zone twice. They got stopped near the near the end zone two drives in a row. They got stopped on a fourth and goal, and they got stopped on a fourth and seven from the eight-yard line. The Colts were moving the football, um, but the offensive line in Indy has been really, really disappointing. Matt Ryan has gotten hit a lot. He got sacked five times during week two. And the receiving core in Indy is a really big problem. Again, outside of Michael Pittman Jr., you don't have anyone who can win in any kind of one-on-one matchup. And that's not good at all. And I think it's kind of hilarious that they blamed Carson Wentz last year. They got rid of Carson Wentz, and now Indy seems even worse. Like, hey, I'm so glad you solved your problems. Yeah, you got rid of Carson Wentz, and now everything's fine, isn't it? Oh. Oh, it's not. You're 0-1-1. You tied Houston. You got embarrassed by Jacksonville. Oh, by the way, <laughs> uh, Indy plays Kansas City Week 3. They're about to start 0-2-1. It's going to be awful. Now, should the Colts blow it up? No, I want to see them commit to Matt Ryan. It's been, what, six years in a row that Indy's had a different starting quarterback week one. I mean, if you count in 2017 when they started Scott Tolzien week one, it's been a while. I'd like to see some kind of continuity in Indianapolis. I think um, 
for them to have the same starting quarterback week one, two years in a row would be an achievement, actually, in Indy. And I, I really think the Colts owner, Jim Irsay, sabotaged his own football team. He really overreacted and ordered the team to trade away Carson Wentz. I'm not sure that was the right move. Now your quarterback is an old guy, 37-year-old Matt Ryan. And like I said, it was a disappointing start to the year so far, the first two weeks. It's about to get worse. Week three, you play Indy. That's going to be an ugly, ugly game. So my advice, if you're a Colts fan, Davis, you're out there, be patient. You need another receiver. Uh, I think another year with Matt Ryan is deserved. I, I wish that the Colts had given Carson Wentz another year. I'm actually happy that Carson Wentz got out of there because he got a way better receiving core in Washington than he's ever had in his career. So, man, the only time, the only thing that would get me to move off of Matt Ryan if I were the Colts is if he has some devastating injury or if you have a legitimate shot to draft Bryce Young, the quarterback out of Alabama, Bryce Young running Frank Reich's RPO offense would be unbelievable. I would love to see that. To have a mobile quarterback who can run around and make plays in Indy like Bryce Young sounds really, really exciting. Uh, But otherwise, I think Matt Ryan's the guy next year, and you just got to have a little bit of patience. It's just really bizarre to me that (laughs) it's not a coincidence the Colts are struggling when they have a new quarterback every single year. How about just a little bit of continuity? I think that would be great. So um, Davis, and he even posted on Patreon, like, I'm in a good state of mind after this loss, but... Be patient. We'll see what happens. It's Matt Ryan didn't play a lot during the preseason. Uh, the real shock, though, again, we knew the receiving core wasn't going to be great. We knew that um, Matt Ryan's aging, whatever, but the offensive line has been shockingly disappointing for the Colts. And if you're a Colts fan, that's what I'd be most worried about. People were talking about Matt Ryan going to Indy and having this great offensive line, and finally he's going to get the support he's always wanted out of Atlanta. And... Um, this year, Indy's going to be a playoff team and really good with Matt Ryan, and he's going to take them to the next level. And I think people are learning, oh, you know, quarterback wasn't our only problem. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. And so hopefully, I think Matt Ryan's patient. Matt Ryan is here for the long haul. He wants to win a Super Bowl. It's going to take a couple of years, I think, for him to get to anywhere near being that kind of level football team. But how about a little bit of patience in Indy? Let's not not just go two games and blow it all up. I I don't think that would be the right move. And uh, unfortunately though, I think the owner in Indy, he's been a volatile owner for a long time. He had Peyton Manning for years that made him look really good. He lucked himself into Andrew Luck, pardon the pun, but he hired Ryan Grigson, that terrible GM. I I really think the Colts owner, Jim Irsay is an emotional creature that is going to overreact and get in his own way and hurt his franchise. Maybe similar to Jerry Jones, actually. Um, and so I just hope that nothing drastic gets changed in Indy. Let's have some patience. Let's see how things go. And let's not overreact to a bad start to the year. I I think you got to let it grow and give it time. And I wish they'd done that with Carson Wentz. And if I'm going to say, I wish they'd given Carson Wentz some time. I think the only thing I can say that's fair is to say, how about this time you learn from the past and actually give Matt Ryan a fair chance in more than a couple games before you give up on the poor guy. Uh, I want to talk briefly about another Week 2 game. Uh, the Week 2 game between Tampa and New Orleans was an awesome, messy rivalry game. I loved it. There was a fight. Uh, Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore really, really don't like each other. I didn't love the fight, but I loved the drum. I'm here for the rivalry. And the you know the benches clearing is, is just a, 
a a sign of the tension and the rivalry between these two football teams. The stadium was crazy. Uh, they're in New Orleans. It was super loud. Mike Evans is given a one-game suspension. And frankly, the Saints' defense dominated Tampa thoroughly. Uh, Tom Brady was really frustrated. I'm kind of over Tom Brady throwing the iPad. It's like at this point, dude, come on, have some maturity. I think to to just freak out and throw an iPad on the sideline, I guess it's a Microsoft tablet. It's a bit emotionally immature. Your kids are watching. I, I don't know that I would want that to be that video of me circulating out there, having this emotional childless outburst and breaking an iPad. But um, the Saints defense played lights out. They really did dominate Tom Brady for most of this game. The game was tied three to three going into the end of the, I mean, with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, this game was tied three to three. That says a lot about New Orleans defense. Now, week 13, these two teams are going to play each other again. The rematch is going to be on Monday night football. I cannot wait for that. Um, but I don't know. I thought Saints quarterback Jameis Winston cost his team the game, quite frankly. He threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter. He handed his former team, Tampa, 10 points. You know, interception number, one of them led to a field goal for Tampa. His final interception, his third one in the fourth quarter, was a pick six that gave Tampa literally a touchdown. Um, so I, I thought Jameis Winston was a disappointment. Remember, you're never going to make Tampa regret moving on from you and going to Tom Brady. They won a Super Bowl their first year with Tom Brady. Tampa's always going to go, yeah, we did the right thing getting rid of, Jam- rid of Jameis Winston. But you could at least try to make it look like, hey, you got rid of a good player. And Jameis didn't do that <laughs> against his former team, which kind of hurts a little bit for me. I'm like, ah, I would have liked to see Jameis do well and show that, hey, you moved on from me, but I'm still a good player. And he didn't do that. Uh, I thought, if anything, it's always going to be justified moving on from Jameis to Tom Brady because of that Super Bowl. But this further justified that. They're like, yeah, look, this guy, at the end of the game, giving us three interceptions in the fourth quarter, helping us win the football game, that's why we got rid of him right there. So that that really stung as a guy who wanted to see Jameis maybe get revenge against his former football team. Um, it's worth noting, by the way, Jameis Winston could not get on the same page with his first-round receiver, Chris Olave. Chris Olave had five catches for 80 yards. That's cool on the surface, but when you look at the fact he was targeted 13 times, to only have five catches on 13 targets is actually horrendous. And uh, I don't know. I, I want to see if that connection can grow and get better. On paper, the Saints are loaded, man. Their defense is awesome. they got Jarvis Landry. They've got Michael Thomas. They've got Chris Olave. Talent everywhere. You you can't score only three points. I guess they scored 10 eventually. They did get another touchdown, but it's like too little too late. And I'm really pumped for this Week 13 matchup, this rematch again between New Orleans and Tampa on Monday night. It'll be in Tampa. Can Jameis play better next time around? And is New Orleans really going to shut down Tom Brady again? And the, the first half, no points for Tom Brady. That's only the fourth time anyone has shut out Tampa in the first half since Tom Brady got there in 2020. And by the way, three of the four times the team has done it has been New Orleans. So New Orleans has Tom Brady's number on defense, but they got to get more run support from their offensive side of the football. And so Jameis has to play better. He he really let his team down week two. And I'm, I'm really skeptical of Jameis. I want to see Jameis do well. I hope he becomes a franchise quarterback that New Orleans needs him to be. But... You can't throw 
three interceptions in the fourth quarter of a football game and expect to win. It's just that you can't do that at all. Now, it's also worth mentioning, um, Tampa played the second half with a third-string left tackle. That's a problem. The offensive line continues to be a concern in Tampa. And one little positive note is that Brashad Perryman had a long touchdown catch uh, from Tom Brady. He's a former first-round pick drafted by Baltimore. He didn't work out as a receiver in Baltimore. I like seeing Brashad Perryman do well, a, a guy who there were a lot of expectations of him coming into his NFL career. To see him have a touchdown, make a big play uh, against New Orleans for Tampa, that's pretty cool. And I just find myself really rooting for a guy like Rashad Perriman, who um, maybe didn't work out with the, the first half of his career. And now he's in an, a new phase of his career in Tampa trying to uh, revitalize stuff. And I just find myself rooting for the guy. All right. Um, let me drink some water real quick. This weekend is college football week four. There are five games I find interesting, five games I think that are worth paying attention to. Game number one is this. Number five ranked Clemson on the road at number 21 ranked Wake Forest. Here's the storyline. I don't trust Clemson's quarterback, DJ Uyunglele. Wake Forest has this high-powered offense with super senior quarterback Sam Hartman. I think Wake Forest might win this football game. Either DJ Uyunglele is going to cost Clemson the game or get benched and their freshman quarterback, Cade Klubnick, is going to come in and be the hero. I don't see it going well. The The thing I don't envision is DJ Uyunglele being the hero and beating Wake Forest. I, I'm sorry. Um, maybe they win in spite of DJ Uyunglele, but I'm really nervous that him being their starting quarterback is going to finally cost them this week on the road at Wake Forest. I like Wake Forest here hosting Clemson. Game number two, number 20 ranked Florida at number 11 ranked Tennessee. It's a big SEC game. Florida almost lost to South Florida last week. I love watching the development of Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. That makes this game fun to watch, in my opinion. Anthony Richardson against another SEC defense. I love that. I want to see that. Um, Florida at Tennessee, really fun, interesting matchup. Game number three, number 10 ranked Arkansas at number 23 ranked Texas A&M. And SEC battle. I think Arkansas wins this football game. We will see. Uh, but a and kind of vulnerable here. They just changed quarterbacks to Max Johnson. Arkansas is 3-0. They look outstanding. They're rolling right now. Uh, I think Arkansas, they're the favorite. They're higher ranked than Texas a and I think they might go on the road and beat Texas A&M at Kyle Field in College Station. Game number four. Number 15 ranked Oregon. At Washington State, game is in Pullman. Washington State is 3-0. It's a hostile environment for Oregon. And I think kind of a good test to figure out how good the Oregon Ducks really are. We've seen them now got dominated by Georgia. Then they dominated uh, Eastern Washington. They beat BYU last week. Can they keep it going? Are they? Which which Oregon is this? I, I thought that the BYU game was more of a statement about who they were than the Georgia game. Like losing and getting dominated by Georgia Makes sense. George is unbelievable. But it's a huge test for the Oregon Ducks on the road. Their quarterback, Bo Nix, their first-time head coach, Dan Lanning. Let's see how Oregon does on the road at Pullman against Washington State. And game number five is Wisconsin at number three-ranked Ohio State. This game is probably not going to be interesting. Let's be very clear. I expect Ohio State to win by a lot. But could something go wrong? Could there be an injury? Could I, I don't know. But keep your eye on this. It's one of those games where the Buckeyes should dominate by a lot. 
Uh, but I'll be watching because, again, I, I will take any excuse to watch Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. And I just wonder, in a Big Ten matchup against a decent Wisconsin team that runs the ball well, and every year they just – weird stuff happens in the Big Ten occasionally. And I just have my eye going like, you know, could anything – wonky happen between Wisconsin and Ohio State. I don't think it will. I think Ohio State wins this game by like 40 points. But uh, I'll be watching. It should be fun. Keep your eye on this game. It's one of those games where you like, you think Ohio State's going to win, but you open your phone and go, huh, it's going differently than I thought. Keep your eye on Wisconsin at Ohio State. All right. Uh, I've got a question from Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Balin wrote in and said this. Zach, Being a Pac-12 fan, I may be a bit biased, but after this weekend, Pac-12 football has suddenly become pretty interesting. Oregon throttled BYU. Washington also dominated Michigan State until they both let the other team back in a bit and made those games look closer than they really were. Oregon State nearly dropped 70 on Montana State. Both Washington schools are now 3-0, and so is Oregon State. Well, Oregon's only loss is to literally the best team in college football, Georgia, USC is undefeated. Utah's only losses to a Florida team that struggled against U- University of South Florida. And Utah seemed to struggle early against San Diego State. I'm not saying the football is necessarily good. But the conference suddenly looks very interesting. Here's my question. Do you think one or two teams will emerge as a true dominant force in the Pac-12? Or do you think the Pac-12 will blow itself to pieces like it always does? To me, it seems primed for another self-destruction. What are your thoughts? Um, Balin, Pac-12 football is always great in a vacuum. It's competitive. It's fun. There are good matchups. There are interesting games. The problem is when you step back and look at the whole country, the Pac-12 simply can't compete with the big boys. They can't compete in the SEC or with the Ohio States of the world. The Pac-12 is not nationally relevant, but if you look at just the Pac-12, if there was no other college football, and we literally only had 12 teams playing each other, The Pac-12 is great football, man. It really is fun and competitive and interesting. Now, you ask, could any team become a dominant force? The only team that really has an opportunity to do that, in my opinion, is USC. They've got so much talent. It's like an all-star team there in Los Angeles. Um, I think for the most part, though, other than USC, the Pac-12 is going to beat itself up and every team is going to end up with a couple losses and bruises and bumps here as Washington State beats Washington and Oregon State beats Oregon. Like, teams are going to beat each other up and weird, wonky stuff is going to happen. But that always happens in the Pac-12. And I would just encourage you, have, enjoy. You don't need the Pac-12 to be nationally relevant. They're not going to be in the college football playoff probably unless USC can become the dominating force I think they might become. other Outside of USC, there's not really a shot there for the Pac-12 or for the college football playoff. But I think you can enjoy the chaos and the unpredictability of the Pac-12. It's a good time. It's fun. It's interesting. And just have fun with the Pac-12 being competitive and wild. I think that's uh, nothing wrong with that. And I don't think the Pac-12 needs to be able to beat SEC-level programs to be interesting and be a good time to watch. All right. We have reached NFL Week 3. And there are a lot of really interesting games this weekend. Game number one is this. Buffalo at Miami. Both teams are 2-0. I think it's a huge test for Miami quarterback to a tongue of Aloha, where the Bills are a Super Bowl favorite. They're a high-powered offense. They're going to score a lot of points. And the question is, can Tua keep up with Josh Allen? Tua had six touchdowns last week. That gave me hope that, hey, this might actually be a good, interesting game. And 
This is by far the game I'm most interested in during NFL Week 3. Can Miami hang around with Buffalo, and can Tua keep up with Josh Allen? Game number two is this, the Raiders at Tennessee. Uh, Both teams are 0-2. The Raiders have a new coach. They're in a really tough division. 0-3 feels like season over for the Raiders in particular. I think Tennessee, there's some more um, weaker teams in their division. I think there's a possibility Tennessee could bounce back from 0-3, although I don't think that's good either. And really, this game, Raiders at Tennessee, is between two desperate franchises that really, really must win. They cannot afford to lose this game, and I think it's going to provide some really good and really fun drama between the Raiders and the Titans. Game number three, the Lions at Minnesota. It's an NFC North division matchup, a huge game. Both teams are one-on-one. Both teams are trying to prove themselves. Minnesota's got this new coach. So does Detroit, really. You know, Dan Campbell's in year two. They're both trying to change the culture. They're both trying to change the narrative about their football teams. Minnesota's coming off of a bad loss on Monday Night Football last week at Philly. I'm really not sure who to root for in this game because I'm rooting for both teams this year. I want to see Detroit do well. I want to see Minnesota do well. Um, It's fun and interesting. And a fun matchup here and a fun storyline is that people are skeptical of both quarterbacks. People are skeptical that Jared Goff is the right guy in Detroit. A lot of people doubt Kirk Cousins. And this game's kind of like an experiment. You know, the Lions at Minnesota. I just want to see what happens. I really have no idea. I don't have a favorite here. I don't have a team I'm rooting for. I want to see both do well if that's possible. Um, And I I have no idea who's going to win. And that's the best kind of game when you're really just not sure what's going to happen between two football teams. Game number four, the Eagles at the Commanders. This is Carson Wentz, the former Philadelphia quarterback, then the former Indy quarterback, playing against his former team, Philly, and playing against the guy, Jalen Hurts, who replaced him. I think Philly's got a better team. They've got a scary good defense, but I'm really curious to see how Commander Carson does against his former team, Philadelphia. How about the Rams at Arizona? It's a big game. Both teams are one-on-one. They're battling for their division, the NFC West. I'm really worried about Arizona's offensive line. Aaron Donald probably is going to take over and cause a lot of problems for Kyler Murray, the Cardinals quarterback. I think the Rams have an edge here. But can Kyler Murray save the day? They played each other in the playoffs last year. Kyler Murray wilted in that game. I want to see Kyler Murray get redemption against the Rams and play better than he did in the playoffs last year. There's another huge game, this time on Monday Night Football. It's the Cowboys at the Giants. The Giants are trying to start 2-0 for the first time in a long, long time. But I worry about the Giants' offensive line. The Giants' O-line is a work in progress. Dallas has got a good pass rush. They sacked Joe Burrow six times last week. Um, Now, it's worth noting the Cowboys are starting a backup quarterback because their starting quarterback, Dak Prescott, is out and injured. But their backup quarterback, Cooper Rush, played really well last week. He led a game-winning drive. And Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, even said he wouldn't mind a quarterback controversy, which is insane, but whatever. Either way, it's a big game. Monday Night Football, an NFC East battle between the Cowboys and the Giants. Now, I've got two predictions this week. The Chiefs at the Colts. I believe Kansas City is going to absolutely obliterate Indy. The Colts have been terrible to start the year. Kansas City looks like a Super Bowl favorite. I think Kansas City blows Indianapolis and Matt Ryan out of the water. Uh, I think that's a mismatch. I think another mismatch is the Packers at Tampa. Tampa should win this game easily. The Packers are struggling at receiver. Uh, Tampa's got a really good secondary. That's a mismatch. It just doesn't compute in my mind. Also, 
Tom Brady has, since he's gotten to Tampa, absolutely dominated Green Bay. So I believe Tampa wins easily here. My two predictions, I think the Chiefs destroy the Colts, and I think Tampa wins easily against Green Bay. Now the Texans at the Bears. I think it's actually an interesting matchup. Uh, It's two second-year quarterbacks on mediocre teams, which mean that it's kind of a fun, fair fight between Justin Fields and Davis Mills. That's an interesting game. Houston at Chicago. Uh, Ravens at Patriots. Baltimore is coming off of a last-minute loss to Miami. Both teams have actually lost to Miami, which is kind of interesting here. Uh, I believe the Ravens are a better football team. Lamar Jackson will be the hero. And I fear that Mac Jones doesn't have enough weapons to keep up with a dynamic, incredible quarterback like Lamar Jackson. Although, hey, I always like watching Bill Belichick's defensive schemes. And we'll see. What is Bill Belichick's game plan to slow down and stop Lamar Jackson? Keep your eyes on that. How about the Bengals at the Jets? Are the Bengals really going to start the year 3-0? Like, they go to a Super Bowl last year, look incredible. They start the year this year, they look horrible. It's a huge opportunity for the Jets because the Bengals' offensive line has really, really struggled to protect Joe Burrow. I have all eyes on the Jets' defensive line. That's Carl Lawson, Solomon Thomas, Quinnen Williams, John Franklin Myers. Also, Joe Facco is starting for the Jets, and the Bengals' defense has been horrible. So the Jets have a legitimate shot to win this game, and the Bengals might start the year 0-3, which is just a horrifying, horrifying thought if you're a fan of Cincinnati. Saints at Carolina. Uh, The Saints are a much better team. New Orleans should win this football game. Could Matt Rule, the Carolina Panthers head coach, get fired if Carolina starts 0-3? That's a legitimate question. I worry Baker's going to struggle in this game with no support against a much, much better defense that shut out Tom Brady in the first half last week. Jaguars at Chargers. This is a huge opportunity for Jacksonville to gain respect. If LA loses, people are going to be calling for the Chargers head coach, Brandon Staley, to get fired. So there's a lot of pressure on L.A. I think the Jaguars got nothing to lose here. One other interesting wrinkle is that the Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert, is injured. He's got a rib injury. He's not 100% recovered. And uh, keep your eye on the Jaguars at L.A. Falcons at Seattle. How is Geno Smith going to play this weekend for Seattle? Week one against Denver. He was encouraging and exciting, and I walked away feeling very hopeful. After week two... Geno Smith was kind of mediocre and kind of average against the 49ers. So how is Geno Smith going to play in an opportunity against Atlanta? Talking about opportunities, Atlanta's 0-2. They lost week one by one point to New Orleans. They get let New Orleans come back and win that game. Week two, they lost by four points to the Rams. So week three, on the road at Seattle against a team that's kind of struggling and down and out. This is a great opportunity for Atlanta to get their first win of the year. And then finally, Sunday night football, the 49ers at Denver. It's a big stage for Russell Wilson in Denver. Jimmy Garoppolo starting for the 49ers. They've played Russell Wilson a lot during their time in San Francisco. Uh, That's a team, the 49ers know Russell Wilson very, very well. And the 49ers defensive line particularly really knows Russell Wilson very well. They could disrupt Denver's offense a lot. Um, I'm actually really worried for Denver here because I think they might lose and start the year one and two. Um, And I think a one and two start for Denver is a massive problem in a really competitive, really good division, the AFC West. By the way, 49ers star tight end George Kittle uh, missed the first two games of the year. He's going to be back and healthy enough to play against Denver. That's a problem. George Kittle is a huge factor in this football game. 
And I think the 49ers really have a great opportunity to beat Denver on the road during NFL Week 3. I'm really excited for NFL Week 3. It's going to be outstanding. And my game of the week, the one I'm most excited for, is Buffalo at Miami. I just cannot wait to see. Can Tua hang with and maybe even challenge Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills? All right, guys, let's end the show with one, two, three, four, five, six write-ins from Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler if you, if you want to write into the podcast. Uh, it's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my bills. Uh, but patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. ENK writes in first. ENK says, hey, Zach, I'm concerned about Mac Jones. That is, I'm not concerned about his abilities as a player, but I'm concerned that the Patriots are setting him up to fail. They don't have any high-level receivers, and they're having Matt Patricia, who wasn't even good at calling defensive plays, calling offensive plays. Here's my question. Do you think the Patriots should move on from Bill Belichick after this year? I know it sounds crazy, but unless he's willing to bring in smart, a smart offensive coordinator to help his young quarterback, his stubbornness seems to be holding his team back. How say you? First of all, you don't fire Bill Belichick. You just don't do that. Um... He won you six Super Bowls. He doesn't leave until he wants to. I think you owe Bill Belichick that. Also, yeah, Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator, but do you know how intricately you have to know the offensive side of the football to be a defensive play caller? I think Matt Patricia doing fine calling plays. That's not the problem at all. Um, So I wouldn't fire Bill Belichick. I think Matt Patricia, who gives a crap? I, I think you don't realize quite how much knowledge it takes to be a defensive coordinator. You got to know offense really well. I think you can be interchangeable. It's weird. It doesn't happen very often, but I'm not really that bothered by Matt Patricia being the play caller in uh, New England. But here's what we're seeing. It started with Cincinnati. Cincinnati got Jamar Chase and uh, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. And then we saw Miami showing what the template really is for how to set a young quarterback up for success. They got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, an offensive coach. But really, the key is great receiving weapons. How do you help a young quarterback? You get him really great receivers that make him look better and make his job a lot easier. I don't care that Bill Belichick is doing weird stuff. He's got Matt Patricia calling plays. Like I said, you just simply do not fire Bill Belichick. He'll be there until he wants to be done. And I I really believe that no matter what happens, you cannot. It's just disrespectful and wrong to fire Bill Belichick. After all he gave you, he gets to do whatever he wants with their franchise. I, I just believe that. I, I'm sorry, but uh, Robert Kraft, if you fire Bill Belichick, that's weird and wrong in my opinion. But what the Patriots aren't doing that I think is a problem, they haven't given Mac Jones really great receiving weapons. They've got Hunter Henry, an awesome tight end. Um, John A. Smith is an underrated tight end, but tight ends aren't enough. I think you need better receiving weapons outside. And I, I don't know what the Patriots are going to do. They don't like making big, tra- big trades for receivers. but And historically, the Patriots are terrible at drafting wide receivers, by the way, too. But the Patriots got to find a way to go get a receiver. I don't know if you trade for DK Metcalf. I don't know what you do, but there's got to be a disgruntled receiver somewhere out there that you can go get and make New England better. Maybe it's Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know. But the Patriots have to do something to get Mac Jones a really good top-tier wide receiver, and hopefully two. 
I mean, can you imagine if you got Odell Beckham Jr. and insert any other really good top receiver in the NFL? I don't know who that person is, but if you can get two really good receivers in New England, I would feel way, way better about the future of Mac Jones. Carter writes in. Carter says this. Carter said, the Eagles and Commanders are supposed to have both really good defenses. Detroit put up great offensive numbers against both. They scored 35 points and 36 points against these teams, respectively. 200 yards passing and almost 200 yards rushing in both games. Maybe that passing game isn't, quote, great, but just good. Do you think this offense is legit or just bad games from the Eagles and Commanders' defenses? No. Um, Philly definitely has a good defense. Did you watch them shut down Minnesota on Monday Night Football? Um, I think what I'm excited for this weekend, really, is we're going to learn a lot about Detroit. And and we're going to learn a lot about Minnesota, frankly. But I think this game, outside of Buffalo and Miami, this game, Detroit at Minnesota, is maybe the most interesting game this weekend. We're going to learn a lot about Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Dan Campbell, Kevin O'Connell, like all these characters up there in the NFC North. We're going to really learn what they're made of this weekend. And I think that game, Detroit at Minnesota, might be... If not the second best game of the weekend, maybe even the very best game this weekend. That's a really, really interesting matchup that I cannot wait for during NFL Week 3. Jonah writes in and says, Hey, Zach, after yesterday's, he wrote this on on Monday, clearly, after yesterday's Niners-Seahawks game, it seems like the 49ers might actually make it pretty far like last season. How do you think the 49ers move forward after Trey Lance is healthy again if we have another good year with Jimmy Garoppolo? They sold the farm for Trey Lance, but there's no arguing. They win games with Jimmy. Um, the decision doesn't change at all in my mind. Hold on. Sorry, I hit the desk. Um, the 49ers replaced Jimmy Garoppolo right after they went to the NFC title game. So I, I just don't know that um, success for the 49ers really is relevant to their quarterback situation. Jimmy Garoppolo wins games. Yeah. But he also leaves something to be desired. He can't get you over the hump. I mean, you saw them lose the Super Bowl. He didn't play very well against the 49ers. He he does win a lot of games, but there's a ceiling to Jimmy Garoppolo that is really frustrating, and they're hoping Trey Lance can be a guy that doesn't have that kind of ceiling. Um, my issue really is the way they run with Trey Lance. I just I don't think you need to use your quarterback like a running back. That's a problem to me. But I don't think the decision to go from Jimmy to G to Trey Lance matters at all. I, I don't think it depends on how well the 49ers do. It does depend on whether or not they believe in Trey Lance, but clearly they were really successful even last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, and they still found a way to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and move on to Trey Lance. So I just don't know that it matters how well the 49ers do with Jimmy G this year. They are, you know, really set in their ways. They're going to move on to Trey Lance next year. And, um, I don't think it matters what Jimmy Garoppolo really does. What Jimmy Garoppolo is playing for is another opportunity on another team next year. The better Jimmy G plays, the more likely it is he finds another team next year uh, because it was pretty clear nobody seemed to want him. Nobody wanted to make a big trade offer to go get Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. And now Jimmy G is you know, really playing to prove himself so he can get an opportunity with another franchise next year in the NFL. Connor writes in, I don't have much to say to what Connor writes in, but Connor has a very interesting perspective. Connor says, hey, Zach, I hope you enjoyed Tua's performance this Sunday. 
here is some interesting perspective for you. Tua Tungavaloa has never had a career losing record at any point. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert has never had a career winning record at any point. For all of the godly physical qualities Justin Herbert has, he does seem to have a knack for falling on the wrong side of results. Tua, on the other hand, has a knack for being on the right side. I think this emphasizes that the most important ability for a quarterback is to have the ability to actually win games. Just look at Tom Brady. He's never been the most physically gifted, but he just always found a way to win games. Maybe no need for you to cringe over the Dolphins selecting Tua over Justin Herbert anymore. Smiley face. Um, I mean, I, I guess you're right. Here's the thing. Talent does not make you the best quarterback. Tom Brady is the best quarterback in my lifetime. But there have been many more quarterbacks who've been way more talented than Tom Brady during his time in the NFL. Most notably, Aaron Rodgers is a way more physically gifted quarterback than Tom Brady. So is Patrick Mahomes. So is Josh Allen. Like, a lot of guys are more talented than Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's better than all of them because of his decision-making, his preparation, his leadership, his accuracy, his timing. He's got a better arm than people realize. Like, Tom Brady isn't the most flashy, the most naturally physically gifted, but he's the best quarterback. So maybe there's something to that where Tua can still, you know, Drew Brees was one of those guys. Drew Brees was not very physically gifted. He was short, had a limited arm, but man, he beat a blitz. You could never blitz Drew Brees because he would just destroy you by dinking and dunking underneath. Uh, he would exploit your zone coverage. He could beat man coverage with accurate throws. I mean, there is a possibility, and, and Tua has been compared to Drew Brees for a long time. If Tua can master the intricacies of playing quarterback, timing, decision-making, accuracy, leadership, beating a blitz, recognizing coverages, recognizing when teams are blitzing, then that would make up the difference for all the lack of physical ability that Tua has. And so, uh, Connor, I like your perspective. And you know, winning is not a quarterback stat. I, I find a little bit uh, of discomfort with that. But there is something to that fact that talent, physical ability, does not necessarily make you a great quarterback. I think it makes you... I don't, know, I don't think talent makes you the best quarterback. We'll say that. Um, you know, Justin Herbert's always going to be a great quarterback because he's physically really impressive. Uh, but, I mean, I, other guys that are physically impressive, Trey Lance is really physically gifted. Is he a great quarterback? Not necessarily yet. So, um, I, Connor, thanks for starting that conversation. I think there really is something there. I'm not sure where exactly it leads, but what a fun, interesting thought. Joel writes in, it's a long one. Joel says, hey, Zach, once again, I love listening to your show and breakdowns after NFL games. I wrote in a while back about Sam Darnold being highly overrated based on how he looks in just seven on seven with minimal decision making needed. I'm not here for a victory lap, assuming we both think his career is diminishing as QB1. Uh, I'm here to ask you about another quarterback I think falls in the same category and just so happens to be on the same team Sam Darnold was. It's very hard for me to watch Zach Wilson. Even though he didn't play week one or two, and I think he will be a successful quarterback, another guy, um, he's another guy that looks great without pads and a pass rush throwing routes on air. Is there a chance both Zach Wilson and Robert Sala will be gone next year? Does Joe Flacco give the Jets a better chance of winning? With a new coach coming in and they have a top two or three pick, would they go ahead and move on from Wilson and draft his replacement? 
They have done everything they could to surround him with good skill players. If he doesn't succeed, it would look bad for the number two overall pick. Thanks again for all your work, Joel. So what if Zach Wilson does not succeed this year and do well? I think if Zach Wilson doesn't do well this year, you double down. You hire an offensive head coach. You bring in... I, I think before you get rid of Zach Wilson, you got to get him an offensive head coach. Uh, think of Sean Payton. Sean Payton is out there working for Fox Sports. You give him a massive amount of money to go work with Zach Wilson. Um, I think he would do that. And you do what Miami did for Tua. You get him an offensive head coach. You get a bunch of receiving weapons. And you double and triple down on your young quarterback and giving up a, a really good situation to succeed. I really like and respect the Jets head coach, Robert Sala. But that's not good enough. He, he I don't know it. Really what the Jets might need is an offensive head coach. And while I like and respect Robert Sala, if this year doesn't work for Zach Wilson, it might be time to make a change to get him a different head coach before you get rid of the guy. Um, I, I just, unless the Jets have a, are, are within shooting distance of Bryce Young from Alabama or something like that. If they're the number one overall pick and you can get Bryce Young, maybe you do move on. Uh, and maybe it's a situation kind of like when Arizona had Josh Rosen and they moved on to Kyler Murray. Maybe you could trade away Zach Wilson and go get a better quarterback like Bryce Young. But is that necessarily better? I don't know. I just think the best thing you can do before you move on from Zach Wilson, go get an offensive coach. Pay Sean Payton a ton of money to come into New York and be the head coach of the Jets. That's what I would do if Zach Wilson doesn't work out this year and Robert Sala loses his job. Zach writes in with a final question on Patreon. Zach says this. Hey, Zach. After week two, I think the questions about the Chiefs should be dwindling. The offense looks like it will be fine without Tyreek Hill. And the defense looks good. What are your thoughts on Kansas City so far? Um, Dude, Casey is a Super Bowl favorite. The team that's going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl is either going to be Kansas City or Buffalo. I am convinced of that. Uh, And that very well may be the winner of the Super Bowl. The AFC is way better than the NFC this year. Um, so I, Casey or Buffalo is my Super Bowl favorite. I feel great about that. And and yeah, Kansas City really did reload. They got rid of Tyreek Hill and they're totally fine. Uh, it's awesome to see what they're doing. And I think it's really validating of how far Patrick Mahomes has come as a quarterback that you can lose a guy like Tyreek Hill and he hasn't missed a beat so far this year. So Mahomes is incredible. Kansas City's ridiculous, and I'm really, you know what I'm happy for is Andy Reid. Andy Reid had a rough go of things in Philadelphia. They fired him. He had Donovan McNabb and Michael Vick and all kinds of stuff, and it was up and down and up and down, and I'm just happy to see Andy Reid is an established head coach. He's going to be there for years if he wants to be, and um, I, I Andy Reid's such a great coach, man. The, the play design, the coaching staffs underneath him. What a great teacher of football, and uh to see a guy like Andy Reid, I would compare it to like a really good uh, race car driver. It's very rare that a great race car driver also gets the best car out there. Like I love Formula One. There's a lot of drivers out there. Fernando Alonso is a driver in Formula One. He's older and he's not driving the best car right now. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is a you know six, seven-time world champion in Formula One. The Mercedes car this year in Formula One isn't the best car on the grid, so he's struggling. It's rare you get the very best coach or one of the best coaches out there paired up with the very best quarterback out there. And I think Andy Reid getting paired up with Patrick Mahomes is so cool to see a guy 
finally getting the credit he's due, winning a Super Bowl, dominating everybody. Um, it, it's Andy Reid was given a Lamborghini. Andy Reid was given the best car out there, and I'm really happy to see the guy paired up with such a good quarterback. And um, you know, KC is a Super Bowl favorite again, and very well could win the Super Bowl. Uh, when does Kansas City play Buffalo? I want to I want to see that. It's coming up soon, I think. Um, Kansas City. Yeah, so KC plays Buffalo week six in Kansas City. I cannot wait for that game. Uh, I think that's a potential preview of the AFC title game to get into the Super Bowl. And, uh, dude, Kansas City looks unreal right now. They're rolling through people. I think they're going to destroy Indianapolis week three. And uh, I have a lot of respect and admiration for Andy Reid and what's going on there in Kansas City. And it's it's crazy, but they got rid of Tyreek Hill. And they might be even better on offense. Like, they just reloaded. They got a lot of players out there. Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore. It's crazy. And um, I'm very, very impressed right now with what Kansas City is doing on offense. And I think they're a better team than they were last year, which is a terrifying and scary thought to be able to say out loud. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I really appreciate you. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy football. It's going to be awesome. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.